Hey, this is Carl LeClaire from the Wampa's Lair podcast, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card podcast. Great pull, kid. Maybe someday you'll feel different. Don't hold your breath, kid. To steal from the Empire? To just walk in like you belong. And you belong right here with us. I need all the heroes I can get. And we need to understand what we just saw. That's why we ask questions. As long as everyone thinks I'm an irritation, there's a good chance they'll miss what I'm really doing. What are you really doing? This is Questions and or Breakfast, a special Rebel Base Card podcast series. This is what revolution looks like. A Star Wars and or series podcast that asks more questions than it answers. Today, we are asking questions on Andor series episode number four, Aldani, which dropped Wednesday, September 28th. With me is my trusty co-host, Gregory Cass, from Ion Cannon, who got a nice nameplate upgrade earlier this week. <laughs> Greg, how are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm fantastic. You know, the new job doesn't have a lot of salary increases, but it gives you a fresh nameplate that says Director of Writing Program, so it, it, it's worth it. It feels pretty good. That's a good perk. How are you doing? <laughs> doing fine. <laughs> I, I still submit there's enough blank space on that nameplate for hello there, um, at least once, to put it in paper, and then you can move on. Well, uh, so inside the office, I don't know if you saw, there was Target for a little while in their decor section had a metal sign that said, hello there, oh. and you flipped it over and you saw see you soon i think star wars explained showed it to me first so i have one of those inside my office so so kenobi's represented so never fear (laughs) fair enough fair enough all right okay so the show is going to work like this greg and i are going to take turns asking questions questions mind you that we have not mentioned to each other before now so there is of course a chance we could take another's question and i'm really hoping tonight there's one that i pray he doesn't take um (laughs) in which case we both better have some spares Of course, the fun part is these questions often spur some great conversation, and all the pressure off is to get the right answer, because that's why we listen to other podcasts. They are the ones that get all the hard work. There are no points, bonuses, lightning rounds, or phone a friend. But since this is our second episode of QANB, I just made that up, we welcome the return of what we like to call the Greg's List, which is a selection of podcasts and other assorted media we ingested before, during, and after. Be kind of hard during. Uh, we record to see if they have answered any of our questions and then some. It's actually one of my favorite parts of the show as it highlights just some of the amazing work being done out there in the community. We hope you check some or all of it out and maybe find a new content creator you like and want to support. Greg, what you got for me this week? All right. Sit back. I had a lot of time in the car this week, so I went really hard into the Greg's list. Uh, So uh, this season, I'm trying out a few new fan creators and particularly some non-fan creators, because I think it's good to kind of balance my diet uh, and see what people outside of fandom are saying about this as well. So uh, so I started my week with uh, Decoding TV, which is a show David Chen of Slash Filmcast is putting out and has a uh, a co-host that uh, and they are kind of lukewarm on Star Wars, which is really Mm. refreshing, like, you you know, uh, thought Rogue One was okay, but not amazing like the rest of us. Uh, I then jumped into Sky Talkers, who recorded their reaction show in July when they saw the oh, first yeah. episodes. And so it was really funny to, to hear and think about how long they'd been sitting with it. My usual diet of Force Center, of Blast Points, of Fantha Tracks, of the Colby cast, of Coffee with Kenobi. 
of the Wampas Lair uh, and a couple new ones to try. I went with What the Force this season, uh, which is a great, great episode. That was probably uh, the deepest discussion of this episode. And I gave a, a good uh, new uh, attempt at uh, Force Ghost Conversations, which was presented as a monologue. And that just impresses me. Wow. When one person can talk for an hour, hour and a half straight, uh, which was fantastic. And the last one I'll mention was the Holonet Marauders. And they are local to Boston. Uh, I keep missing my opportunity to talk to them, but they're in our local 501st, uh, a Kylo and a Ray, I believe. Um, and they win my prize for favorite ins- insight of the uh, week. I almost said insert, like insert series <laughs> on Rebel Base Card. So favorite insight of the week was that Cassian's blaster closely remem- resembles the blaster from... Dark Forces, the video game mm. from 95, I think. And so it's a very close to a, a, a Dark Forces blaster, which has a particular company that makes it within the universe. And what's cool about that is in the original kind of version of canon, uh, Cassian Andor's from Fest, and the only place Fest had appeared previously was Dark Forces. So that's pretty cool. A little bit of synchronicity there. Uh, and I still didn't get uh, that took me up to like Monday of this week, but if shows <laughs> dropped after Monday. I didn't get to them. So I still have podcast Stardust, Tarkin's top shelf, Ochto radio uh, and outer rim beacons on my queue. But, uh, fans are loving this show and it's really fun to celebrate and listen to everybody geek out and get really into it. So, uh, all right. Now, Speak to me about your list, which I assume comes from somebody who isn't so sad and lonely that they can listen to as many podcasts as I do. <laughs> no, you do. You do get the uh, you do get the golden key or the golden headphones this week uh, for for uh, pounding all that down. Um, yes, because you know it's it's kind of funny because we also have, of course, you know, um, Andor does not live in a vacuum. You know, we also have you know House of the Dragon. Uh, we have Rings of Power. There is She Hulk out there, which you know somehow uh, you know. Colby Mead is doing uh, doing the yeoman's work, trying to, to squeeze a lot of stuff in. Um, so, you know, leading up to Andor, I was kind of like, you know, it's one of those that's kind of interesting when you have a new genre. So you're trying to find like, okay, there are X number of podcasts regarding this. And then you, you start sampling it or you start like searching and sampling. And then you kind of like you um, kind of settle down on one. And I know one, um, let's see, I think bald Oh, shoot. Who are these guys that do, like, Hot D or House of the Dragon podcast? <laughs> uh, the unofficial one, but they actually do three episodes a week. Oof. They will do a hot take. Uh, it's like a, usually a half hour right after the show. Yep. They'll do a main one on Tuesdays, I think. Like, it's a, usually a long one. And then they'll do a feedback one on, like, Thursdays. Wow. So they can, they're, they're pushing out, like, three podcast episodes a week. Um, so, I mean, but you know, some of these folks who, and it's not just that show they're doing. So they're doing a ton of different podcasts and I'll, I'll try to slip some of these in the show notes cause we just have a lot. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, I did like the vibes everybody was getting. Um, one that kind of uh, keeps circling back is I too was listening to, uh, coffee with Kenobi's take on it. Cause he had Ross Holoban, uh, you know, pop star Indy and Colby Mead on. And it was funny because, you know, Dan was kind of doing a look like, you know, is it is it Star Wars? And it was kind of like, you know, he had some kind of the sim- similar reservations that I had in a way. And I think you would be the same in that, you know, we it's definitely a show for adults. 
And although I wasn't necessarily, you know, the the, the first episode, which talked a little bit, you know, which kind of showed you a bit of the brothel and there was some of, you know, the seedier parts of town, that didn't really bother me as much. But, you know, in kind of like, hey, everybody get down, we're going to watch Star Wars. Yeah, it was kind of a little different vibe. And I, I like the fact that he was kind of picking up on that. And although he really liked the show, he's like, well, I have a little cautious reservation because um, you do like to share Star Wars with your family. Although you go, you know what? You know, even if it wasn't for that, there still is a lot of deep, you know, deep, you know, themes in this, of course. And of course, when Andor, you know, offs the one Corpo guard, you know, it's like, wow, okay, this is really different. But as we've kind of seen with the MCU, some of those shows, different is good. So, you know, I, I, I like all the different takes on it, but overall, people are seeming to like it. Yes. I mean, you should not invoke Dan uh, without saying happy birthday because we're recording this on his birthday today. So uh, I know he listens. So happy birthday, Dan. And thanks for all you do for this community. Uh, I liked that discussion a lot, too. And it was really interesting to hear uh, Colby kind of join uh, Dan and then take it back to the Colby cast to his Mm -hmm. boys and raise the same question. And so I'll just give my two cents that I do think it's a different type of star Wars, but in terms of the can kids watch it, um, I chose not to watch this with my seven year old. And it was less about any of those specific elements as it was. I just don't think he'd like it. Um, I think the pace is too slow and uh, it hasn't been exciting enough to, to draw him in. Um, I made a similar call with Moon Knight in the MCU, which Mm -hmm. was like, you know, those first couple episodes I enjoyed and I thought were really interesting, but I was like, I don't think he could process this or will appreciate this. So uh, I kept him out of that. And, you know, he sometimes sees it on Disney plus and is like, we should still get to that dad. We should still, he also didn't see Eternals because I didn't want to read him all the subtitles. So, uh, (laughs) so we'll get to those when he's a little older, but uh, yeah, I I totally respect parents who are saying, you know, I think, I think this isn't that kind of star Wars. And I think Dan had some good uh, reservations about, you know, it, are we supposed to have star Wars that doesn't welcome all members or isn't for 12 year olds? Exactly. It was fun though. Um, with, you know, with Colby and, and Ross and, you know, with Jen, cause I also had a chance to, to uh, read her long take on it. That it, it is kind of fun once we're done to go back and see what everybody else thinks. And then you'll see some of the times it'll throw up on, it'll throw up, it'll show up on the thread um, and, and other things. And so it's, it's kind of fun because I think the more we get to know folks and you start to go like, okay, I want to, I want to know their takes on it. Um, but yeah, it was, that was a great episode. And then Colby uh, listening to Colby and his, you know, his, his boys who are, you know, I think they're in their twenties and so forth. So that, that's always been a kind of enjoyable. Um, Force material, and that is the uh, the Bass McAllister and Rowan Williams. Um, they always have really solid takes, and I know they hadn't been recording that much, but when they do, I kind of really you know stop and hit the feed. But they actually turned me also on to a Rings of Power podcast oh, nice. uh, from a couple guys in Ireland called the Melonheads, mm-hmm. and they are deep deep dive into like Tolkien stuff. So you know, one when you kind of find a recommendation like that, you go check it out and go, okay, maybe I'm going to kind of binge a couple of episodes. So, you know, sometimes you go, you know, when you, when you dive in, it's just so much going on right now. Uh, we really do yeah. have a lot of going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, today I actually had a chance to kind of wrap up at least well, I, I, I got, was able to listen to uh Wampa's lair. So Carl and Jason did a nice job. You know, everybody's kind of like with, episodes one to three, you know, everybody kind of had a lot to kind of talk about. And so it's just, I think you'll see this kind of going on and I might go back and continue uh, to pick up some of these earlier episodes of ones I normally would listen to anyway. 
and then I kind of finished out um, uh, Brian and company over at Pink Milk. Uh, they, they had a really nice episode. So that was like kind of towards the end of my day. Um, I will say this is a, probably a good point to shout out that um, our friend, our friend uh, Ben Brophy over at Zen Kenobi did a massive um, Google Docs on episode four just because he's, I think, no, now you said he, he kind of had been doing this, but when you're talking <laughs> about all the characters that have been introduced in the four now, four episodes, mm. keeping track of names, of quotes, of, you know, things... I, I, you know, it's almost getting to the point where like when I was looking at my own notes for this, I'm like, yeah, this is starting to look like Ben's stuff because there's just so much to kind of think about, you know, plus all our questions, right? That's what we're here for. Mm. Um, but just a shout out, just an amazing bit of work, uh, that I'm just kind of looking at now going, wow, this is, this is, uh, this is deep. Yeah. I, I think, uh, Ben is one of those star Wars fans that just relishes the chance to learn names and ranks and droid models and ship models and things like that. And I, I think, uh, it's the RPG player in him. He's, he's ready for the Andor source book and he's kind of collecting a lot of those stuff. So when he offered the chance to peek at, at the notes he took, um, you know, if a student took notes this detailed on my class, I would give them an automatic A. I mean, they're just incredible. Uh, so I, I, too, really appreciate this because uh, it's a lot easier to look over his notes and grab some of those names and places instead of just being like, you know, the guy with the hair who did the thing. So uh, so much appreciated, Zen Kenobi, uh, who has changed his name to Clem. I noticed and, that. And I'm hoping it disappears <laughs> in five days. I'm waiting. I'm just counting it down to see if it's five days. So, uh, But great to see you, Clem. Thank you for this. <laughs> yeah, Director Bennick just kind of rolled off the tongue, but, you know, Clem. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because an interesting theme in tonight's episode is getting your homework done on time. As uh, as the as our good major uh, will relish, and maybe people will pay more attention to your concerns if your quarterly reports will be done on time. Anyway, <laughs> all right, more of that to come. All right, I have a ton of questions um, we'll, that I can reference to, so I hopefully am prepared for the onslaught from the Ion Cannon. But uh, as always, I will yield the floor. Greg, fire away. Ooh, okay. Uh, lots of great stuff this episode. I think totally different and yet, you know, a welcome addition to this show as we stretch out into the galaxy and, and see a little bit more of what's going on. Um, so I'm going to ask a kind of conceptual question about the show itself to start with. And, right. and this is kind of a taste question, not not so much a lore question. Uh, so as I look at what I'm enjoying about the show and what stands out about the show, one of the things that keeps falling further and further down the list for me personally is Cassian. And this is nothing about the character or exactly, you know, what he's doing. But my question to you is, does Andor have enough Andor in it? Or is Ooh. Cassian getting a little lost in the mix here? Um Certainly multiple plot lines. Certainly, you know, obviously we had the flashbacks in the first three. But if we are looking at this ongoing plot, there's so much going on. And I, I think I'm losing sight of, of Andor. So are you feeling that or are you are you just thinking it's still building to something great for the character? That is a great segue question from what we were just talking about, mm. meaning that there are so many characters that are being introduced 
that your audience is taking notes, or at least, you know, the, the, the nerdy guys are taking notes. Nerdy <laughs> guys are taking notes. But I would almost I would almost agree with that because it hasn't been just and or, you know, we we've slipped off into other sectors of it. And, you know, obviously we see, you know, from almost scene one where he has to, we were wondering last week, you know, has he killed before? And, you know, now we get a little more of the back story where he was on Mimbin and yeah. he's, he, you know, cooking. So here's, you know, have we, we haven't seen, seen and or cook yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's something, it is interesting because I was starting to kind of, you know, like as I was watching two or three, I was watching this like the second or third time, there are parts of this that aren't holding my attention as much. Mm. And especially when you get into the, you know, Vel and her camp, because you already thinking like, all right, most of these people are gone. <laughs> you know, like Andor says itself, this is a suicide run. I'm like, yeah, all right, all right. Who are we, who are we saying like you, 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 and you. So if you figure that a lot of these folks may not make it, sometimes mm. my, I would say not interest but my investment in their outcome, I don't know, is necessarily all there, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, folks like Perrin are making it very easy to go, you're a twit. Um, <laughs> I really don't care if you fall off the ledge um, because you're obviously don't don't stress out my Mothma, please. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I said, there's just so many that's inter- being introduced that not only is it taking a long time to kind of remember remember who everybody is, but yeah, sometimes you go this is a great character, but I'm like, yeah, you know. So, yeah, I, I would say that I'd be surprised that I didn't see a little more and or, you know. It's interesting also, once again, the pacing of these first ones as opposed to the, the later ones when they really have made the the choice that we're not going to do five years, we're going to do two. Mm-hmm. You're wondering then, will they have so many, di- you know, like, at some point are we going to stop introducing characters and just start to go boom, 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 boom. Um, and then also we're looking at much like uh, House of the Dragon is you're probably going to have to start moving events faster along because in you're trying to do five years of story, but now you're doing it in a shorter amount of time. So we're going to have things speed up. You know, there's people we still have to introduce. So yeah, as far as some of these ancillary people, and I'm just repeating myself, uh, maybe a little too much of them and a little, little more and or because uh, we, we know eventually where we need to get to. Yeah, I th- I think you're, you know, obviously this show couldn't just be the singular and or story. It was going to try to tell something bigger. And that makes it a little different than Kenobi, which added to the world at that time. And we got a lot with with uh, Reva and, and Leia, obviously. But I, I do think that was so narrowly focused on Kenobi. This is just so much different in what it's trying to be. Um, And I, you know, I think think i already trust these showrunners that they're going to make this a really meaningful experience and we are going to keep learning more about um about cassian it just reminded me a little bit there's an old joke about raiders of the lost ark that if indiana jones was not in the movie at all everything would have happened exactly the same <laughs> as, as uh, you could fight that out. That's a good, you know, nerds fighting over beer uh, discussion. Uh, but there was a little bit of that going on for me at times where it's like, like, does he really matter here? Like, what is, what is the story here? And, 
uh, is he getting a little, little lost in the mix? But, you know, I completely agree. Let's see out this story arc, see what's happening. Um, I think being so spoiled with the three last week, it, it was almost, uh, you know, abrupt when this one ended. And it's like, oh, we don't get to see that heist. We don't get to see uh, what happens between Sarah and his mother or on and on and on to all the different plot lines. So, uh, yeah, some food for thought. And, I, you know, it, it goes against expectations and what we all thought about it, perhaps. But, uh, you know, how much is this the Cassian show and, and how much is this something else that just got marketed as the familiar name is, is going to be interesting to watch. No, good point. But, you know, I, I have faith in Gilroy that, you know, if we if Rogue One is our pattern, um, a lot of people aren't making it out of this section. I got yeah. I got a feeling that natural attrition by the showrunners will start to kind of, you know, at any rate, you know, for good or bad, because there are some amazing people being put in um, put in in these roles. Boy, mm -hmm. I'm still I'm I've been struggling to try to figure out what my first question would be, but something always brings me back. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot. You are, mm. you are, you are the canon junkie. But Oof. as they have dropped a lot of names in this particular episode, you know, if we can talk about, you know, even at the Starport, when you talked, you know, there, there was a Hosnian Prime reference. Yeah. You know, we've already had Ryloth be mentioned in the Imperial meeting. But it was the Mimban piece that really stuck to me. One, because we first learn about Mimben, at least, you know, in in this iteration of Star Wars, you know, from Solo, a Star, uh, a Star Wars story, because that's where, you know, Han Solo gets, um, gets assigned to. But when he talks about, you know, we were fighting amongst ourselves, do we really know what happens happened on Mimben? And where is that kind of in the timeline? Good question. Uh, I want to tackle some of those other references you alluded to uh later and hopefully i can save a question uh without you stealing it uh that will will do just that um so well and i i will say in passing that we puzzled, tried to puzzle out the timeline about the raid on canari or the accident right. on canari and what was going on and i will just note it was very reassuring to hear basically all those shows i listed puzzling that out and putting together yes. the timeline the consensus seems to be where you landed which is it just it can't be an imperial mining accident it has to be republic and that it's it's a separatist ship that crashes and that um marva is concerned about the republic but we seem to be pre-clone wars or it might be like a a segment of the 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 republic that is will become the separatists but they haven't necessarily broken off yet and so here you are throwing another tricky timeline <laughs> question at us. Um, so I think Solo Solo has the tricky thing where it starts and then it jumps ahead three years. Is that right? That sounds about right because it was already, I think, oh, oh gosh. Because Solo, so I think in the present time, Solo takes place, what, 10 years after? Yes. But then the lead up to that was a few years before. So if you want to... Oh, gosh. So, you know. <laughs> so what is your take that Mimban is... It's got to be post-Order 66. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it's closer to 10. I think that's right. Mm -hmm. I think may, the tricky thing is, again, there's that little tiny bit of solo at the very beginning when he's on Corellia, and then we get a little time jump, and, and right. then we're, we're on Mimbid. And I think that's supposed to be around 10. Um, 
you know, Carl from Wampa's Lair, if he listens to this, is going to be burning my text messages up being like, how could you forget about Solo? Because that's his absolute favorite of uh, the Disney era. Uh, he's, I think he's watched it like he watched it 15 times in theaters, I remember, which just like that's, that's a badge. That's Nobody else I've ever heard of did that. So so that's devotion. So uh, but I think that's about right. And as I understand Mimbin in current canon, and I don't pretend to be Star Wars explained. I'm not Alex. Uh, I'm not Molly. <laughs> but uh, as I understand it, that was a conflict on that planet that was going on for a really long time. I think it's something of a civil war or a civil mm. uprising. We have a couple of the actual Mimbanese who are visible in Solo. One gets shot, I believe, when... Um, when Beckett is doing his kind of cool spinny moves, you see one jump up. <laughs> they have a lot of fray on them. And then there's a Mimbanese in the Cloud Riders late in Solo. So they, so you do see the actual Mimban. And I think, you know, when he says it turned out we were actually fighting ourselves, that to me sounded like a World War One situation where you're you're entrenched and you're not even really sure as you shoot into that thick fog you know, did the line curve around and you're sh- shooting back at your own troops? Uh, are you just hurting yourself? You know, you brought up uh, attrition earlier. Is it a war of attrition? <laughs> Is it just, you know, you're you're staying there for no good reason? Uh, but that's how I think Mimbin exists in Kaminen right now. It should mean that he was roughly there when solo was i i think is what all that amounts to for me if we're if we're now five eight bby and he's reflecting backwards and it is seemingly sometime between when he was picked up by marva and this current moment then i think it has to be sometime around the same time as solo wouldn't that be fun to get a flashback and even just have alden and val uh walk by or or, or beckett and val be a, a funny thing to, to kind of piece together yeah, and starting to think of like, you know, how far apart in age are Han Solo and uh, Cassian Andor. Um, I, I would almost venture a guess that Han Solo is a, a few years older. I would imagine yeah. a few years older than, than Andor. But yeah, to you know, when you're throwing out those names, like, you know, I, I was kind of mentioning now you start to go, it, it, it begs a bunch of other questions. Um, but it was just interesting that that is another, you know, much like as we saw with him being pulled off of Canari, mm. here's a reference to, and will we see a flashback? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was the story that, you know, Hey, I was there. I saw some stuff. And Luthen was like, well, actually you were a cook and ran and, <laughs> and maybe that's it, but it would be interesting um, to, to, to get back to that or somebody else take that on because that's an interesting story that, that seems to deserve a little more space in my opinion. And we know from the trailers we have more flashbacks coming because there were shots visible of uh, clone trooper armor. So we know we're going to see some of that, like Mark II, the the Revenge of the Ooh. Sith clone troopers. So, so where was Cassian during the Clone Wars? That seems rife for storytelling. And you know, even if he's still relatively young, you know, there's a lot you could unpack there. And 
if they don't do it in the show, then I'll take 10 Cassian novels. No problem. <laughs> well, it's funny also because a lot of folks have been talking about those early Han Solo novels, you know, Han Solo at Star's End and all that. And, uh, you know, that kind of made me trip over to Amazon and go, you know what? I remember them coming out as a kid. I didn't re- I didn't read them much, much like uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It was a very nice it was a very nice book on my bookshelf for many years until I decided I'm not reading this. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when you start to think about some of these like pre pre legends books mm. um starting to think like you know what maybe kind of toss that in the kindle and uh chew on that just now more for nostalgia rather than any kind of threads that go into you know where really a lot of those books pick up of course you know the, the early 90s with timothy's on and all that but yeah. some some of those classic ones uh, may you know since we have a lot of time before a, a big movie comes out Maybe a nice, you know, as we're getting into the winter months and everybody's uh, cooped in, maybe uh, pull out some of these uh, these dime store novels, uh, Star Wars books. Well, you name checked it, so you have to know. Do you know where Sh- Splinter of the Mind's Eye takes place? Well, it was regarding. No, I don't. Uh, oh, it was Mimbin. It was Mimbin. Yes, uh, that's right. Exactly I was like, right. Yes, they're so going that after was a the Kyber original crystal. Mimbin, and then uh, the screenwriters of Solo brought Mimbin back into canon. So yeah, so there you go. You're going to become our Mimbinese expert over there. the course of the winter. Challenge accepted. <laughs> all right. So that that's my, all right. What is your next question, sir? Well, let's, uh, let's just dive into uh, one of the controversies that came up about the show. So obviously there are the kind of controversies that I'm not going to touch because <laughs> those racists or, you know, bigots don't need any of our attention. But one of the things fans were really debating a little bit was, why should there be more fan service? Is it good to not uh, have fan service? Should we have fan uh, more fan service? And I think, you know, I, I this goes to the increasing MCUification of all <laughs> entertainment where people want, you know, Wolverine to walk through the background or whatever. But um, I, I'm going to give my perspective that I think this episode had a lot more references but it was a lot more subtle and you started to catalog some of those yourself right that that we have the reference to Mimban we had Hosni and Prime shouted out mm-hmm. uh we have Ryloth which you also mentioned i think that same briefing they mention Arvala or i think they t- talk about Arvala 5 that is the system where Quill lives on the 7th planet i think i have that right so he's, he's Is it Arvala 6? I was looking at I was looking at uh, I was looking at Ben's notes. That's the only reason. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And well, and then Ben's notes tipped me off. There's a great moment later where uh, Mon Mothma is upset that Sly Moore is coming to dinner. And Sly Moore is an assistant to Moss Amida. So this is pure, weird prequel characters. But the one I didn't recognize from that list, uh, Ben pointed out. Oh, I gotta pull. I gotta switch tabs to to see this name, uh, Ars Dangor, <laughs> who appears to be one of the Imperial dignities from Return of the Jedi. One of the guys in the weird big hats. Uh, and I, I I think Ben Ben put this with a question mark, so he's still not positive. I imagine, but he's working through all of that. Uh, and still more, I got a shout out that uh, Rakata got a mention. And Rakata is a planet from the original Knights of the Old Republic video game and wow. a species that goes way back to the kind of founding moments of the galaxy. So my question after all that <laughs> is, 
is this the right kind of fan service? Is this the kind of thing that's going to satisfy but not distract? Is this just annoying? Should is this, you know, Wikipedia paying to get clicks or something? How do you feel about this level of fan service? I, I've got it for you, and it was something that's been, that was on my tongue when you talked about fan service. Mm. Um, I like those subtle mentions when a when a piece comes and literally hits you is if we go to Rogue One when Jin gets bumped by. Uh, you know, Walrus Man and the other fella doctor. Dr. Evison, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is my least favorite part of Rogue One because mm-hmm. you're going, I get it. And if they went past and gave you a look, but it was like they had to they had to hold on it. And that was one of the only times in Rogue One where I was kind of taken out. So I think there is a there's a trick to it. But you know, when you hear these little you know, like, you know, when they when they allude to like Hosnian Prime, like you know, that's something that they're they're saying names and things like that. Preferably, I would rather it be things I recognize, mm-hmm. especially given how much canon we have, rather than coming up with with new stuff. Just because sure. there is, and I think there is a world like you know when you when I was looking at, you know, I did I I kind of was like, why is he putting this character on there like Sly Moore? And I'm like, oh if the oh, and then all of a sudden that starts clicking in, and you go, you know what? I, I don't mind it, especially if they are, you know, if they're peripheral characters. Like we already know, wait, oh, we know from the Mandalorian season three trailer, we see a certain droid that kind of shows up that has, you know, has a bit of a following, just as much as our, um, much as much as the fella from Empire Strikes Back with the Ice Maker, right? We, who has oh, now sure. a name that that, I, that that escapes me? Will Rowhood. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so. I, I think there's a there's a there's a way you can do it, and like I said, you know, it's almost like when you see two tubes get kind of put into different ones, and you go, that makes sense because he's popping up, mm-hmm. uh, or even like different um, different creatures. I know that Carl from Wampa's Lair, Carl and Jason were kind of talking about like there's a lot of aliens coming up, and they were like, hey, can I just see a a Rodian here or there or or something? And you go, that's what I don't mind, even if it's not. I don't need to see Greedo everywhere, but sure. it is nice to see something. And so I think there's a mixture to it. There, there's a right way to mix it. There's a subtle way to do it. And what it's nice about that is, is that somebody can go back and go, oh, yes. And, you know, who's thought about the imperial dignitary other than the kid who was really unhappy that he got that figure for Christmas instead of, <laughs> you know, Endor Han Solo. Um, yeah, yeah. And you're going, you know, that because I think the imperial dignitary is like one of the is a butt of, of many of the jokes of the uh, mm. action figure collectors out there. But there you go. I mean, who, who's whose figure is more is worth more yak face or <laughs> Luke Skywalker, you know, so I, I don't mind it. I like what they're doing. I'd rather they fill in some of these peripheries with things that at least, you know, and, and I really like the fact that they're pulling from some of the, like, let's pull in something from, you know, the, the, the corporate, the corporate security forces from those books. And it's mm-hmm. a nice way to, to make nods to legends and, and all these periphery things. You know, we we first thought that they were on Braca when you saw, you know, Ferex yeah. and you go, yeah. you know, so it, it is kind of nice to see this. I think there is a way I don't need to be beat over the head with it um, because I know the good stuff still coming. <laughs> the really good stuff still coming. 
Um, uh, well, I just want to, I, I think we're in the same place on that. I'll throw in my favorite scene for this, which I didn't even mention this list was, uh, Luthen's shop, right. Which, uh, feels very much like mm-hmm. Dryden's office from, um, solo, a star Wars stories. It's like, yes, there's a contextual reason why this would be filled with different treasures. And if you're the production designer and you got to fill a star Wars shop with priceless treasures, have some fun, right? There's very visibly a Kolakori from Rebels. The Hera's family has one for her family. There's one of those on the back shelf. Uh, There are some like uh, uh, sculpted uh, kind of pieces of wall that sure look like the world between worlds. Like somebody found another entryway into that and and got some of that taken out as a relic. Um, And the weirdest one, but a favorite one for me was they had the armor that if you do the force unleashed video game and you send star killer deeper and deeper into the dark side, he eventually gets you know maimed and has his own kind of scary sith armor kind of uh monster appearance and that armor is just in the back of the shop just there with a couple other decorations and um i saw a couple twitter accounts just being like it's this is it he's in canon i'm like i i think that's a little generous but (laughs) but you know again you want to put a suit of armor in there because that makes sense in the shop do something that gives people a little thrill i think you know my my brother-in-law who likes Star Wars but doesn't love Star Wars is not going to bat an eye and just enjoy it. And, and the rest of us get to kind of giggle and do the Leonardo DiCaprio meme at it. And then do it like that, huh? <laughs> no, that was that was a that was a good because yeah, I I did see some things on Twitter where they were doing like blowups and screenshots and things like that. And you go and you know, of course the the one name drop with the, the Utapalian you know, where he's oh, showing her yeah. the stick thing, and then they go back, and that's when they really start you know, talking about stuff, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's great because somebody's, especially in our community, somebody's going to do the, do their diligence and look at it. And, uh, you know, not, not everybody has a Ben Brophy, uh, with a Google <laughs> doc that he could share, but, uh, you know, maybe if you ask him, uh, I'm, I'm going to say like, you know, between him and Jen with the long take, uh, I think we're in good shape reading wise, um, mm. at any rate. And, uh, also, shout out to Kyle Scully uh, at, at SoCal Scully. He sent me this is a, this is a few months ago, but he actually sent me a uh, Denny's menu from Solo, a Star Wars. Oh, story. amazing! I had been We're asking talking a lot of Solo tonight. This is great. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a perfect time. I mean, I, I thanked him, but I'm like, it's a perfect time to go. You know what? When you talk about all these references and and the love for some of these properties, um, yeah, I have. Uh, not one, but two menus from uh, Denny's for the Solo a Star Wars Story tie-in. And I am very, very happy. And thank you so much, Kyle. So yeah, Did just, you say it, very, very hungry? You've been reading the menus? So. Uh, you know, <laughs> ha- happy and hungry. No, those were good good times, and that's such a treasure. So good on Kyle. Again, one of those pre- people on the internet is just a good guy. Like, <laughs> Love know, that. We don't get enough credit in Star Wars fandom for having a lot of good guys, good 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 women and you know everybody's just having a, a friendly time for the most part but it's the jerks who get the the airtime <laughs> see you know they're the ones you know, the, the the jerks are the ones that have the keyframes where they're like what and you're just like no i whenever i see whenever my kyle scully keyframe he's always just smiling he's just happy um at any rate all right i'm gonna i'm gonna burn i'm gonna burn a question i am so hmm. i i was so worried i shouldn't be uh but i want this question asked by me uh because i gotta know what you're thinking and you know we we've really laid some groundwork, great groundwork here. I'm just gonna I'm gonna completely take us off the rails for a second. 
what question did Sergeant Mosk have? (laughs) (laughs) I've been dying to figure, like, what was he going to ask? (laughs) That he raised his hand. And in one of the funniest moments, seriously, what was he going to ask? What was he going to say? <laughs> I Well, and I'll, I'll use your question as just like an opening to talk about all of the ISB, because I actually don't think I have an ISB question. And what a great addition to Star Wars or a fleshing out of a concept that's been around since the West End games. I think those old 80s oh, role-playing yes. games is, is what introduced ISB and then... Uh, the Decipher card game, Pablo Hidalgo shared this this week. The Decipher card game is the the place where the white uniforms got tied to the ISB. Mm-hmm. And that's been canon for a long, long time. I think other than Thrawn, it, it gets linked through uh, Colonel Wolf Ularen, who's in A New Hope. And he's a guy with a mustache. And then he's in Clone Wars. So, you know, he's got a history, too. Uh, so it's great to see them. And, you know, I think whatever the question is, it just like... It has to be another way to just screw somebody else and get a little more power and a little. I mean, the way that that uh, group is just constantly infighting to push each other around I, is really well done. And, you know, uh, a, the classic thing we say to students learning how to write stories is show, don't tell. And that's what we got here. We didn't get any telling us of what these people are like or what they are. We just had a straight into it meeting of these and we saw the dynamics clearly. And then over the course of the episode, we just see the conniving and the backstabbing in the building. So, uh, yeah, a funny moment, but I'm sure uh, dark intentions there somehow. <laughs> yeah, And I would have to say, when you're looking at, you know, the actors that got dropped into this one, of course, we had. You know, if we are looking, um, you know, Denise Goff as, you know, Deidre Miro, um, if you have, you know, Anton Lesser as Major Partagaz, and then the Ben Bailey Smith as Lieutenant Supervisor Blevin, three great characters that really just knocked it out as soon as they were all introduced. And you could kind of really get the tone you know, you know, Major, you know, Partagaz was really setting the tone for how these meetings were. And I think the overall, you know, thing, get your homework in on time, kids. <laughs> it is interesting. I'm going to take a side note that on the one hand, he, you know, he is saying, you know, what's his quote? You know, we're we're healthcare workers with mm. apologies to the real healthcare workers. <laughs> but on the other hand, he does not take um, Miro's concerns seriously enough because it seems like he's still sort of hung up on well everything's in order we've got paperwork and things like that and there's this you know he um on the one hand he at one point you know criticizes her but also you know kind of lifts her up by saying you know he's he's acknowledging the fact that she's doing a good job i'm going to send more Mm. stuff your way but it is interesting this this balance that they ride between bureaucracy and efficiency, and they they do sense their their whole mission is to, you know, is to treat the disease before it becomes more. But you know, it's interesting how each of them, you know, they're they're still like there isn't a, there isn't a friend at work amongst them. Um, <laughs> but and well, that's and, what, and, yeah, I don't know if it, it ties out. I mean, at the risk of uh, of. Uh, gaining the fury of dear Clem. Uh, I will say that 
you know, to me, it all feels like Krennic. I think Krennic is the model for this, right? The don't choke on your aspirations sign of Krennic. And and it's clear that the emperor managed these uh, ranks of officers just by pitting them against each other and guaranteeing none can become too powerful because there are three others trying to take them down. And, um, you know, not to take your, your kind of fun question and turn it too seriously, <laughs> but you imagine what it felt like to work for decades in such an environment and you start to understand why yeah maybe the day he dies we'll go tip over the emperor's <laughs> statue in monument square because you know even though we loved the empire and loved working there it, it was hostile and it was toxic and and you know you want to get out of it even though if you are you know get off on power and so on but uh you know, I I am excited by the ISB as another pathway for plot lines. I, I think this will be the the main kind of B plot in this, or I guess maybe it's C plot. We have Cassian, then we have Mon Mothma, and then we have the the ISB. But great additions to to visual Star Wars, live action Star Wars, and getting to see a lot of this. I loved their headquarters too, just mm. the the shape of it that was new and different, but fit right in and and seeing. Um, actually, uh, Carl from Wampus Lair and, and director Bennick pointed this out to me that uh, Coruscant is much uh, lighter on traffic than it was in the prequels. And so it's like it's it's less vibrant and less alive in so many ways. Well, that's a good and point. I think I think we're seeing a lot of that kind of filter down into, uh, you know, when when you have tight control and you don't let people be free, then all of life kind of withers and fades and things become the grays and the the blacks and the whites. So yeah, it's, it's really well done. The show is, is knocking out of the park on, on that. And it's interesting that, you know, when you look at a character like Blevins, where you do have, you have, you certainly have your characters, you know, like the, the inspector who, and a lot of the corporate security who are very lax in their bureaucracy. And they kind of like, they, they're not one of the, they don't really want to make themselves known because there's just more trouble as opposed to the folks like, let's say, Miro, and even um, our poor, you know, deputy inspector, you know, Cyril, who was, you know, let's be honest, he was doing his job, and mm. so was Sergeant Mosk, to bring this back around to Sergeant Mosk. <laughs> so it's interesting, and that's why I kept asking. I was like, you know, we kind of saw, even though that, you know, they were, you know, they were really, you know, like the, nobody really likes the corporate security. It's like there was, there's still this fight between folks who are who are, I guess, just trying to do their job, plus the the folks who are trying to be ambitious and the folks who are, like you said, like there's three people that are going to tear you down. So yeah. I think it was more not necessarily like, what was he going to ask? Although I love the fact that he raised his hand. Um, <laughs> but was that this, there is this, there's this environment that is, all these things are happening at once. And, you mm. know, even, you know, Miro's, you know, underling officer who's going, well, it would be more if it came from you. So there's, there's the politics of how you try to get your work done, even if you yeah. have less sectors than others. So that, that's just, it was not only is it great to see the ISB, but also their impact on the empire and the empire's impact on how everything gets ran. Anyway, we'll, we'll finish yeah. there. Oh, all of that is just really nicely said. And, and it is really fun. Um, you know, the a lot of the shows as they unpacked those uh, Cyril and and um, and the Corpos, really kind of pointed to how easily good intentions in a bad system go wrong, and I think that's what we're seeing. Like, you know, um, 
yeah, I'd rather be Cyril than those two jerk officers who were at the brothel and, and wanted to shake down Cassian. I mean, everything about them, they shouldn't have been in there because it was too expensive. They were drinking that they shouldn't have. And, and yet, if the whole system is corrupt, then you're only going to get corrupted by it if, if you're trying to raise up in it. You can't reform it from the inside. I mean, this feels very much like Commissioner Gordon and Batman, right? Like, <laughs> Commissioner Gordon is a good cop. He's, a you know, the, one of the good guys, and yet he can't reform, uh, you know, the police from the inside in Gotham, so he's going to throw the signal on the roof. So, cool. I can't believe I got to a Batman reference. So... It's over to me. Uh, all right. Uh, too long not talking about him because I think this is becoming my favorite character. Luthen, and a Ooh. lore question for you. Uh-uh. Uh, what do you think motivated Luthen to join the rebel cause? Mm. He seems pretty devoted and he seems like he's moneyed. We speculated last time. I think I said he might be a lobbyist or or you know, we agreed he couldn't quite be a senator probably. And so now we have another piece of this. He's a high-end art dealer, but there's clearly a devotion to the rebel cause. So this is, you know, our speculate wildly type of question because I don't think we have a lot of clues. What do you think has him devoted to the uh, to the rebels? And then we'll laugh next week when we're proven wrong. I would absolutely love it if somehow it was tied in to this Kuwati signet crystal that he gave mm-hmm. and or as a down payment. And I wrote that down. I probably butchered the, the pronunciation of it. But even as he's saying, you could probably get 50000 for it, but it'll never mean more to anybody but me. And, you know, on the one hand, that sounds like a really cool piece of dialogue. But on the other hand, there is something more. And yes, he he seems to be right in the place you'd need somebody of that position to be like, I want to be near the power center. I want to have a cover. Obviously, we saw him, you know, with the wig and the rings and all that. So he's got a great cover. He even practices. There we go. He's he's serious (laughs) about his craft. But something must have either happened to his home world or the original homeworld, or to loved ones that, you know, either, you know, and it's been around long enough, did it start with the Republic or separatists? You know, was it a separatist that that did something, because and, you know, masking as? But yeah, I think something must have happened to um, a, a partner, a family, a loved one, or a planet in general, that even though, you know... He kind of has the means. Maybe he didn't even start out. Maybe he legit started out as, as one of these, but has turned. Mm. Um, even if you kind of throw in, uh, I was just thinking of, oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Schindler's List and I'm going to regret it. But I meant when mm-hmm. you thought about, you know, Schindler as far as like starting off with, but mm. eventually got kind of turned. That's really, I'm stretching on this. Don't add me. No, but um, I, I think that's, I think that's not an, inarticulate connection to draw. I think that makes sense. But maybe he has turned over time. So yeah, I do think that uh, he's got something really deep into this. And But I think, he, I think he may have already had some of the resources to act on it rather than like what Andor's trying to do, which mm. is scrape. And maybe some of those resources came uh, during, you know, before the Clone Wars, because obviously he's got a little bit of age. So maybe, you know, much like Saw Gerrera, which is going to be interesting, we're going to meet you know, has yeah. that Clone Wars past? Maybe there's something similar for Luthen. What do you think? 
I, I like that speculation a lot. Um, just another pet theory that could be true, but I'm leaning away from is, you know, he's clearly somebody who has an eye for antiquities and art and things that matter to culture. And maybe it was just seeing that culture stamped out and, you know, the danger it's all put there. I'm leaning away from that because it seems like this is just a pure cover at this point. Like he, he doesn't really <laughs> care about these artifacts or these items. I Maybe he appreciates them, but it doesn't seem like that would be his core motivation. Um, and, you know, with Star Wars, it's most likely personal, like you noted. So I think I think your theory is is maybe drawing us in. Now, you're right. It seems like he is of money and has had money for a long time. But the whole rendezvous with Mon Mothma seems to be because he needs more and the money's not flowing fast enough. And so, you know, if, if he's tapped out or if he is just trying to do something even larger, I think there's a, a real question there about... You know, how how wealthy and how powerful can he be without being on the radar in the same way that Mon Mothma is? But uh, fast climbing the ranks of my favorite character, not just the amazing accent, but uh, the the scene where he redresses himself into the the disguise. And and yes, you mentioned it just the moment where he's there twirling his hand just to think about it. It's like I've seen a million memes and I'll take a million more of just that that (laughs) feeling of kind of practicing and getting yourself prepared to to head into a, a situation is is just great and, and really wonderful bit of characterization <sighs> nice nice all right so we saw you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take us back for a minute but clearly, you know, as we talked about with different characters being brought in, some of them are not going to last, some of them are going to last. But, you know, I think our long um, camera take on Cyril Karn last episode was a precursor to this week where not only was he dismissed, but we got to see him go back home to mom. And by the way, I'm calling it right now, hoarding Edie Karn, by the way, our Catherine, our actress, <laughs> Catherine Hunter. Um, one of my favorite scenes of this episode uh, was Mama Karn. But more on a more serious note, what role is Cyril going to take on now? We, we, we saw him go home. We didn't have to. That could have been the that could have been it. What happens to Karn now? Yeah, boy, was that an interesting choice, right? Um, And, you know, I think there's been some debate about where that is. Uh, Ben notes that he he says it's more Lana, right? It's still that that same corporate planet, I believe. Maybe I got the name wrong. Um, I saw some people say, oh, it looks like Coruscant. Then there were people having a good debate, and one of them was uh, Kello Ren on uh, Twitter, who is just an amazingly good follow and has been for a long time. She's probably the greatest Bad Batch fan I know, which is why I, I keep an eye on what she puts out there. But she was pointing out there were a bunch of people saying that this looked like he was well-to-do, and she was arguing that that's the exact wrong reading of this, Hmm. that maybe he's in a skyscraper, but note that the path we see is he goes into the elevator and it drops, right? It drops a long way from the surface down into... uh, into the 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 nether regions and you know we think of 1313 and other star wars things that have tossed that the lower levels of curse on are bad news so kella was pointed out that what she got visually from it is what i believe i have this right in england they're called council estates and essentially we would call it a housing project here in america right like our major cities 
your city, my city has these housing projects where there's, you know, low income housing for people who are down on their luck. Their luck. Uh, and in England, they have that, but a lot of it came to be in the 70s. So it's got this really heavy, I believe it's called brutalist architecture that's just slabs of concrete. Um, people who watch uh, the new Doctor Who, I always think of uh, Rose's home, right? She's, mm, she's from yes. one of those in those early seasons of, of the Eccleston and, and Tenant Year. The Eccleston year and the tenant years, plural. He only got the one. I keep uh, remembering. Uh, and so to me, that was the right read. So why did we follow him? I'm starting to think that he is not some entitled jerk, but he's actually climbing because he has to climb. He's stuck on the bottom. And, you know, I, the history I, I read into American history is that those in power stay in power by pitting the lowest on the rungs against the ones who are one rung above that. And I think we're learning that Cyril is only one rung above the kind of working class we see on Ferex. And so the Empire, the Corpos are pitting them against each other over and over again. And that's what we'll see. Now, now all of that is just pre-able to say, I don't know where it's going, but I definitely think <laughs> it's continuing. I, you know, there was some question in my mind after last week, but but this is you well, and you don't get an actress who's that awesome just for like one shoot a nasty look at the neighbor scene. <laughs> so I think we're in for something cool. I kind of, I don't know. My mind even went as far as like Psycho, right? Like a kind of unhealthy relationship there, where uh, she's gonna like make him feel really, really bad for failing, and and uh, you know. We'll see. But those are some of my thoughts on it. But uh, I'm excited. Again, that would be like the D plot, the F plot of this episode. We have so much going on, but it was noticeable that it was still there. Well, and it's interesting because, you know, Andor really ties back to this failure for him. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, at, you know, at this point, if he's out of a job, what can he do? But what will he do? And I also loved, you know, what, what Edie, uh, Edie Carn, you know, slapped him in the face but also mm. hugged him. So she was yeah. unhappy of what happened, but also, you know, didn't seem like she might get him back. So um, I, I, that, that slap and hug really said a lot, but yes, as he, I, I didn't get the fact that, uh, you know, he was going down. I just, you know, he gets in the elevator and he kind of, he's brooding all the way down and yes, all that concrete down, down there. Yeah. Um, there was also another, there was also another shot that was circling the interwebs about, as he was walking through that one terminal where it was, it was masked off as some other place Mm. and you could see like what it looked like in, in reels and what they did to it. So some of these, some of these locations, once again, you you have to really hand it to the cinematography of like, they're shooting in some really amazing places. Like, of course we haven't even really gotten to, you know, where Andor is going and and those, that gorgeous mountainous region, uh, wherever they are shooting that from. Um, but, Oh, amazing but yeah it's i got a feeling he comes back but it's you know i i still think it's is he is he gonna come back friend or foe but right at this point i think he still he still has enough ambition that i don't think i don't think he wants to hang around mom no uh, put it that way all right what you got uh this is actually the last question on my list so i i don't know maybe you have Uh 10 more but this is i'm i'm running low because you kind of stole one of mine but that's okay (laughs) i didn't do as much prep as i should have perhaps uh so uh, you're right. We haven't talked enough about the the rebel crew. And, um, you know, I, I did have some thinking about what is this structure in this hierarchy 
between Mon Mothma and Luthen and uh, you said her name, Seva, Seva uh, uh, this other cell. I think there's a lot of questions I want to ask about the structure of the Rebel Alliance, but I just don't think we have enough to go on. Uh, sorry, Vel. Vel is the name of the, the leader here. Thank you again, Ben. Uh, so my question is quite simple. Does this crew have a chance? Uh, you mm. know, we got the classic George Lucas. We're going to show you exactly how it's going to go. And then you can see how it goes next episode. You know, usually a hollow projector or some such, but this a, a, an actual physical model. Um, and Cassian casts a lot of doubt on their ability and how long a shot this is. Um, I will say the connection I made is it felt like Top Gun Maverick to me, right? Where <laughs> they, they say in the briefing at the start of that movie, like miracle number one, followed by miracle number two to do this correctly. And it felt like that, right? Like we're, we're, we're exploring these miracles that are going to have to happen to get this crew out of there. So what do you think? Does this crew have a shot or are you just waiting to see how bad it goes, how fast uh, to determine what happens. Well, it's interesting because that does kind of take one of my questions as far as like how many of the crew with Cassian will survive. Mm -hmm. um, I do not have high hopes for this crew, although I will say, although we have seen models before, thanks to A, a New Hope and Kenobi bringing in the T-16 or the, mm. the, the excuse me, the Skyhopper, sure. we have Nemec, who may just very well be the first collector hobbyist in the Star Wars <laughs> by two incredibly great quotes. Mm. Uh, you know, rain gets into the glue. And secondly, well, obviously it's not to scale. And I'm sitting here as a guy who used to take cardboard and, and glue and put things together. And I'm just like putting my fist in the air going, thank you, Namek. Uh, you're not going <laughs> to live, but I really appreciate you for what you're doing in this. Um, Wait, I gotta, I gotta say two things on Nemec. You brought him up, and he's so great. <laughs> so first is those lines you just said. My mind immediately went to Back to the Future, right, where Doc Brown always builds the model, and he says, yes. "Excuse the crudity of this model. I didn't have time to paint it or to build it to scale, or something <laughs> like that." And that it was, it was like the same line almost. And second, my favorite movie of last year was The French Dispatch, and it was driving me crazy that I knew Nemec's voice and I couldn't place it, but he is in one portion of French oh. Dispatch. So I was really excited to see him come through. And finally, when it clicked, you know, it was one of those moments where you're just like, of course, I know I knew where that voice was from. So, yes, I too, he's too. He's too adorable, right? He's yes. too like a uh, wide-eyed kid. So yeah, he's he's not going to make it out of here, but he's he's enjoyable. But back to the question at hand. Sorry. I me. you know I'm very interested in is it Lieutenant Gorn? Yes, uh, Suli Remy, um, who does that? Going, you know, it's I'm interested to learn some about these, but there was one of the other fellows that you know on the periphery that I and and even uh, unfortunately I like Cinta but you kind of go some of these going yeah I think what happens you know Vel I think survives maybe Gorn but I think of these six or seven I don't I, I think it's just going to be it's really too much of a suicide run although I'm going to really enjoy I, I loved Gorn's um, talking about this event that happens once every three years and yes. I think visually that's going to be amazing. And I do mm -hmm. think, you know, it's good and bad. Now, I guess if we kind of know that each of these are going to be like little three three story arcs, I think that in, instead of just, oh, wow, they're doing this now, you know, it's almost like we kind of got that a little bit in Bad Batch where it's like, okay, this seems a little bit going to be a serial one as opposed to over our 
overarching ones. So does this mean that there's going to be one or two that's going to be like that? Eh, and then there's going to be one that's going to be like all boom, boom, boom. Um, so, you know, it leads me to believe like, wow, is our two episodes from now, we're going to lose our minds. Um, <laughs> but next one's going to be a lot more tense. But yeah, I, I, I don't see a lot of these folks making it, but I do think that, you know, I think Vel and Gorn are probably, for me, the uh, survivors. We'll have to see about the other ones um, just because they also, you know, Gorn was not happy to see Ka- uh, Andor there. And of course, Vel wasn't also happy to see Andor there. So you, you do, you do kind of think they're going to, they want to keep the people together that are going to be kind of butt heads a little bit. And if thing, the more things go wrong, you know, the more that's going to make it interesting for Cassian to figure out, because obviously he's going to, he's going to get out of this. He survives. We know he survives, Yeah. yeah. but um, I, I don't put a lot of hope in these other ones. Uh, so uh, for good or bad, but it should be a, it should be a hell of a heist. Um, yeah, I I think my money to answer your question would be uh, I think Vel makes it out and probably Gorn and maybe one of the others who was skeptical because you have to then have the uh, the reservoir dogs scene where they're yes. in the warehouse after having a fight about why it went wrong. And so these ones who are skeptical about her adding Cassian or adding Clem at the last minute, when it goes wrong, Clem's going to get blamed and they're going to have to fight it out about, uh, you know, is he a mole? Is he which one of them sold them out to the Empire? Um, Yeah, which means, I don't know, are they going to get the money and and get it to out too? Uh, It seems unlikely, but we'll see. Maybe they do have a chance. Maybe we're too pessimistic. (sighs) It, it it will be interesting, and like I said, it's some you know it's. I, I'm curious. I, I don't give a good over under on this, but um, it'll it'll be interesting if 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 the the actual thing goes down in two weeks. Does next week, you know, will we get more focus on some of these characters, and will we learn to you really, you know. <laughs> you know, suffer the loss of like, oh man, I really like that character. You know, like, you know, maybe we all have a little bit of uh pent up Madam Garza, you know, in us that we don't really want. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, reach out to somebody else and, and like somebody else because it'll just be like, it'll just be like uh, Madam Garza. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> who, you know, she could still live there in theory. Um, sure. Maybe she hid underneath um, Max Rebo. Um, all right. <laughs> I, I was looking. I was looking at the last of these because there was a few that I had a lot of one-offs, and it was interesting. We we kind of talked about this last week when you had when you're doing three episodes as opposed to one. You know, some of the smaller ones, you know, kind of they 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 work themselves out. Oh, it was it was clearly this as opposed to you know maybe spending time on some more of the overarching ones. Um, although I wouldn't consider this much of a lightning round. I do. There was a couple ones I thought. Um, just to chime in on it, and I know we're hitting um, a little bit on time, but um, I was curious, going back to your great ISB uh, comment, mm. do you think Gideon would be here at the ISB around this time? We know from Ooh, yeah. Bo-Katan, I think, that he was ISB. Will we see him even? Oof. Uh I'm going to say possible we could see Gideon, but it would have to be a much younger actor. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to pay to de-age Giancarlo Esposito. Um, and, you know, I think it just wouldn't make sense because this is, well, is it that long? So if we're five BBY and then it's only like 
10 it is i mean it's possible like 20 years um he would also probably be on his way out um potentially by now right i mean to to rise to the level of moth is uh no small feat so uh yeah that's a possibility uh so your question was could could yes that sounds right the timing sounds good will we I'm gonna go with no. I mm. think I think they let Favreau and Filoni do all the interconnected, crazy crossover stuff, and they're building a, you know, Defender style event out of these characters. I think I think Andor wants to be its own thing. So I know I was the one who said, "Oh, maybe we'll get Solo walking through the background." I'm like, it's not gonna happen. I think they're doing their <laughs> own unique <laughs> thing, and um, it's gonna be almost a, a bottle show where it doesn't connect out of this uh, universe that much. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, speaking of uh, other characters, and I think, you know, unfortunately, Perrin takes uh, a little wind out of the sails of uh, our our fearless Mon Mothma, but uh, when she is talking to Luthen at the shop, when she mentions she wants to bring somebody else in, do we know for sure we know who that person that Mothma wants to bring in? Is that a given? Whew. I mean, there's a couple candidates, I think. Where are you going? Is your head at Saw? Is uh, that... Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, you put Mon Mothma and Saw Guerrera as far as, like, you know, these two extremes in Rogue One. But even mm-hmm. if you bring him in now, it's interesting, like, wow, how do they hook up at all at this point? You'd think that a Luthan would have more. So on the one hand you go, uh, well, okay, we want we want to get, you know, we want to get saw in here as quickly as possible. But mm. I'm not sure. But could it be someone we do you think it's someone we don't know who is? It's a good question. So, you know, from Legends canon, there are a couple big kind of founders of the rebellion who haven't made it their way in. So if they really wanted to throw a bone to the the book readers, somebody like a Garmbel Iblis uh or um, you know, uh, Star Killer kind of fills a role similar to that in, in Force Unleashed. So there's some candidates there in Legends. I, I again, I wouldn't ever hold my breath for a Legends character making the leap. It's it, of ah, course, ah, it ah. happens, but it's it's just not where they go first. Um, you know, in the Mon Mothma Saw relationship, we know by Rogue One, so five years from now, they've worked together and they've had a falling out because he's too extreme. So the way you were just piecing that together, Luthen being the person that ties them together, and then maybe Luthen leaves the picture and they just can't work together. That mm. makes sense to me. That that has potential as a way they fell out. Um, Cassian has a really interesting line early in the show. He says, Seps, rebels, partisans, mm. doesn't matter what you call them. I thought that was fascinating. So he is kind of... I think he might be telling us that in the galaxy, they don't really see a huge separation from the Clone Wars to the to the rebellion, the, the Galactic Civil War, that it's the same group. Uh, but but that language does say rebels and partisans separate. So while Cassian may say they're similar, that at least suggests there's some daylight between them at this time. So, um, yeah, but then like. Ooh. You want you want like wild fantasy? Go for it. What if it's Akbar? What if it's somebody like that? Where it's like Ooh. we haven't brought the Mon Cal into this yet, and they Ooh. can build us ships. Or, you know, I th- I think there's a chance for the level Luthen and Mon Mothma are working at. It could be somebody like that. Again, I don't think I'd 
put money down on Admiral Akbar, but like some big new contingent to bring into the fold and welcome to it. So I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna stick my hand up like Sergeant Musk. Yeah. <laughs> what if it's Bail Organa? It very well could be. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think Jimmy Smith's like why if he Please was already show in, up Jimmy Smith. Yeah, if he was already in for Kenobi, why wouldn't you call him over to your set? And, you know, he seems... We know the uniform fits now. Yeah. Yeah. We know know the uniform. Uh, Absolutely. Now, uh, I think... Well, you're getting at a hard eye on canon question, which is, uh, (laughs) I think deleted scenes are considered canon until something contradicts them, which is a really weird definition. So, like... So the the deleted scenes of Revenge of the Sith where Shock T dies are not considered canon because she died later in a video game, for example. Right. Well, although I think that's Legends now. Um, so if if there's something in the movie that contradicts like that potential path, it's not canon. So I think that would mean that the Revenge of the Sith deleted scenes with Padme and Mon Mothma and Bail. And the woman who went and did a Playboy shoot and got those scenes deleted, uh, you know, all of those characters, I think all of that gets uh, considered canon so that we shouldn't, we should, I think Mon Mothma and Bale already have a connection, but maybe this is, let's bring them into this other side of it. Oh man, rubbing my hands together. So many good, so many good points. Um, Yeah. And lastly... Well, I'm just going to throw in then the Leia Princess of Alderaan book, which is a great book if you're looking for something else for this winter. That might throw a scruple in there because I think by 5 BBY, Breha and Bale are already running their own missions. So I think they're already in, but I don't know. (laughs) Um, You know what? Lastly, and I guess this is 5 BBY. um, So it's probably like one of the things going back to all that money. You know, they're going after the quarterly imperial payroll for the sector. What do you think all that money is going to buy? Guns and ships and so the cannon slips. What's the Hamilton mark? I'm so close to whatever it is. Uh, Oh, the Daffrons are going to be mad at me. (laughs) What haven't we referenced yet in this episode? And so the balance ships. Uh, so the balance shifts. Uh, I think I think the rebels need material right now. I mean, they're yeah. at a place where they've got the sentiment, but they can't start this war until they have ships and blasters. And and so uh, that would be my guess is they need to load up on men. They need to prepare many cells. And you know, I, I I'm always the most hesitant to reference rebels because I'm not as strong on rebels canon as as so many other devoted lovers of that show are. But, you know, uh, the Phoenix cell has a lot of uh, equipment and, you know, the Admiral has has his carriers and so on. So anyway, I think I think it's just the the material of war and that, you know, we've seen from Last Jedi. Maybe that's another place Luthan made a bunch of money if he's a profiteer of some kind or something. Boy, wouldn't it be interesting if we visited some of these places that alluded are alluded to? 
in The Last Jedi that are manufacturing all this equipment for the good guys and the bad guys. Mm, yes. Um, mm, interesting. All right. We have depleted the lists of questions, but I really feel, you know, what I love about this is not only everybody that we've talked about tonight, everything we've referenced, either in or not in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> um, but it does kind of show that this is a, this is a series that is really going to make you think and, you know, uh, notes... Uh, notes accepted. No, <laughs> we like it, and uh, it's so much fun. Once again, we're all watching this together, even if we're not watching it. You know, at the same time, whether you're stealing a shot here or there at lunch, whether you're getting up at two and watching it, or or whatnot. So, uh, it's kind of fun being along for the ride, and I can't wait um, to get us off this show so we can start listening to what some other people think about this and I'm excited to add to the Greg's list. All right, if you have any questions for QAOB on the socials. You can reach out to me um, at Rebel Base Card at Twitter and Instagram. You can email the program, Greg at RebelBaseCard.com. Greg Cass, where can they find you online? As always, I'm at IonCanon on Twitter and Instagram, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. Uh, always enjoy hearing from people who listen to the show. Always enjoy uh, you know, having people uh, respond to our questions or most often offer corrections to whatever we said. But <laughs> the there's a there's a funny, wonderful kind of news cycle effect where we come in so early and we do these rough guesses. And then I listen to a week of people who took the time and got it right in podcasts. And so then we can come back and, and be there. But uh, but it's great. And, and I, I think it's a benefit that we come in kind of raw and get to you early in your feed, get you that that breakfast morning on Saturday, and then you can yep. uh, spend all week correcting us if you need oh, to. Oh, exactly. <laughs> but yes, and of course, you also uh, are, you, you're still doing the Wheel of Time series podcast, right? Endlessly. Uh, yes, nice. I'll be reading those books until I die. But yes, thank you for reminding <laughs> me. Uh, that's uh, Through the Glass Columns, uh, which we are uh, recording this week. We're up around page 600 of the 800 in the first book. So, wow. uh, so on and on it goes. Of course, the first book of 14. So uh, a very funny thing, and I immediately sent my co-host a message, is one of the main characters in Wheel of Time is named Perrin. So now we have a Star Wars Perrin, and we've been talking about Perrin uh, all the time on that show. So, uh, But yes, those that show is evergreen. So if you're somebody who has ever wanted to read Wheel of Time, you can uh, grab it and download the episodes, and, and we go through two chapters at a time. Awesome, awesome. Thank you very much. And of course, uh, we'd love to have this go longer. Actually, no, because i got to go pick up the wife. Uh, but we'd have to actually get some real work in, and you and I have other longer show recap podcasts to listen to, like I said. So we're going to sign off for this week, but we will hopefully be back soon with more questions. We hope somebody else answers. So now we are going to return you to your podcast playlist already in progress. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds, and any other related items, are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.